One of the things that we've noticed, uh, even in early childcare, dealing with the youngest of kids, um, many years ago, if you would have told the parent, okay, we're gonna have an active shooter drill with your kids, they would have said, you're gonna do what with my kids? But now it, they're saying, why aren't you doing this with my children? Because people realize these events are happening everywhere. They're happening in schools, they're happening in malls, they're happening in churches, they're happening in movie theaters, they're happening really everywhere. So we all have to we all have to be prepared, um, and it's just not schools because uh, how do you handle unhappy customers? How do you handle terminated employees? I mean, all these people are ripe for random acts right now. You're listening to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media, a podcast for professionals responsible for the safety and well-being of their employees. Each episode features an interview with a leader in employee safety to discuss how to protect your employees from a wide array of threats, from severe weather to a global pandemic. Let's get into the show. Hello, and welcome to the Employee Safety Podcast, where for just a few minutes of your day, we provide insights and ideas for keeping safe your most valuable asset, your people. I'm your host, Peter Steinfeld, and I'm joined today by Ron Rozak. Ron is the Senior Safety Advisor for the Institute of Childhood Preparedness. Ron, how are you today? Doing great, Peter. Thanks so much for having me today. Oh, I really appreciate it. It's excellent to have you on the show. I'm really excited for our discussion on a topic that should hit close to home for a lot of our listeners, which is improving safety awareness in our communities. But before we begin, can you just share a little bit about your background and your role at the Institute of Childhood Preparedness? Sure, absolutely. Well, first of all, I'm uh, from Chicago, Illinois. I lived here my whole life. I've spent my whole adult life in law enforcement. Uh, I've done some corporate investigations and also emergency response training. Uh, but for about the past two and a half years, I've been the senior safety advisor for the Institute of Childhood Preparedness. Uh, we've been all over the country. We've been to 20 states, uh, 10 tribal nations, uh, Washington, D.C., and everywhere in between uh, doing active shooter response training and other uh, emergency preparedness classes. We do things such as fire safety, uh, fire extinguisher training, emergency plan review, site security uh, assessments, and we even do some uh, COVID-19 work now. Well, that's fantastic. And that kind of takes us into our first topic, which is it's interesting. A lot of our listeners are familiar with the challenges that large companies face in terms of safety and security. But can you shed some light on the amount of organizations out there that just don't have a dedicated safety resource at all uh, or operate without any formal planning in this area? Sure. Yeah, well, it kind of all depends on the type of emergency we're talking about. Um, most people have at least a basic plan for fire safety. Uh, but then when you go to the other end of the spectrum, very few have a, a plan for an active shooter attack. So basically what we're trying to do is you know, work with people to develop plans for all these things. And the challenge we're having right now is because of COVID, uh, many that are back in the offices have suspended even basic drills uh, because they're feared of getting people too close, social distancing or another. And then other places, they've been out of the workplace uh, environment for months. Some are now some coming back and they're so focused on how are we going to prepare for COVID, keeping everybody safe from the virus, and some of the other basic emergency response techniques that we've been working on through years are starting to kind of get pushed to the back burner just a little bit. So that's the biggest challenge we have right now is trying to deal with safety and COVID and people returning back to the workplace and continuing on with their drills the way they've normally done in the past. You know, that's interesting. And that kind of breaks off into two branches. The next thing I was going to dive into you on, because you mentioned COVID, 
what are the things that you're recommending people do as they think about dealing with safety and security and integrating COVID and everything that's going on right now? Um, how, how has that changed what you're providing to them for uh, advice and um, what they're able to do on a day-to-day basis to, as they think about this? Well, it's a kind of a double-edged sword here because what we're trying to do is people have to balance customer service with safety. So on the one hand, uh, because of COVID, we're a lot more careful about who we let into our buildings. Mm, so yep. that is a good thing. The bad thing is, is that when people do come in, then we may have to confront them in a bad situation like, well, you have to wear your mask or you can't go here or you can't park your car here. Or you can't go to this area. So it can lead to a lot of confrontational situations that most employees truthfully aren't really trained to deal with. But the good news is, like I said, we are starting to monitor people coming in a little bit more uh, to the building, which is very, very important. I mean, we just can't let anybody in. I know even pre-COVID, we'd go to places um, that may have like a, a, a situation where the person buzzing somebody into the door can't see the door. And all they have is a garbled speaker that when somebody buzzes the, the buzzer, all they hear is, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> right. So we were actually dealing with a, a facility in Indianapolis where the lady just said, Ron, I'll be honest with you. I let everybody in because oh. I don't want anybody to get mad at me. Wow. So I, I don't want to get fired. I need this job. I don't want to get anybody mad. So I just let everybody in. I mean, she readily admitted that, uh, which is obviously not something we want to do. Uh, also, another thing that we're seeing is, um, you know, floor design now is is a little bit tricky. Um, now we're spacing people out more than they were before. Uh, a lot of places have maybe went to like more less cubicles and offices to more open and airy areas, which now have less places for people to either run to or hide or barricade. Mm, yeah, um, and then of course. Communication has always been a problem, but it's even more critical now. So now we have to have a common communication process that is going to get you know information quickly if a bad situation does arrive to let everybody know that there is trouble in the building. What uh, what advice do you provide to organizations you train regarding communication during unforeseen events like I mean fires, active shooters, and all the other situations you're referencing? Well, the biggest thing is you have to have some form of communication. Uh, and that's the biggest thing. That's the starting point. What do you have? A lot of people have intercoms. Um, they're great, but who knows how to use them? And we find out that when we do our trainings, one of the first things we'll do, and I'll usually go to the director privately, just say, hey, when we do our drill, I'm going to ask you to make the announcement on the intercom. Do you know how to use it? I don't want to embarrass you in front of all your, your people. Yep. You'd be amazed how many places we go to where the director has to call maybe another building, another department, say, uh, how do we work this? Uh, how do we work <laughs> this intercom again? Yeah. Uh, so if you have it, know how to use it. Same thing with walkie-talkies. We see a lot of people with walkie-talkies. Many things there. Number one, do they keep them charged? Do they even know where they're at? Um are they comfortable talking on them or are they constantly cutting themselves out when they're mm, talking? Yeah. Um, is the volume loud enough that they can hear? So once again, if you have it, you got to know how to use it. Uh, cell phones, they're great things, but you have other people's phone numbers. Um, and you'd be amazed like, you know, how many people don't have the phone numbers of the people they work with. Uh, if you have cell phone numbers, do you have maybe like a group text message set up? 
that you can just hit it automatically. It'll go very quickly to people uh, rather than just trying to have to write a, a long note in the, in the middle of an emergency. We like text messages, uh, emails. If you send emails out, usually they're deleted or maybe never read. Uh, statistics show like text messaging, as much as maybe 98% of them are read and read quickly. Keep your messages short and simple. Uh, train your staff so they know what they're doing no matter what form of communication you're using. And if you're going to drill, always use your communication as your starting point. We have never done any type of drill, whether it be a fire drill, active shooter drill, or anywhere, anywhere where we don't have an initial announcement coming from either the director or what we prefer to do is pass that around to other people because, Peter, you may be back in your office when a bad situation happens. It doesn't always just happen at the front desk. That's right. We like to include a lot of people in it um, so that the more they do this, the more they're comfortable with it. I know from a law enforcement standpoint, when we go to the schools uh, and we'd go to and tell the teachers, okay, today one of you is going to make the announcement for the active shooter drill. And they would all like freak out because, oh my gosh, <laughs> let the director do it. No, 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 because it could happen in your classroom. This is where the situation could arise. This is really true in early childhood where parents traditionally have walked their kids back to the classrooms, you know, and the situation could arise there. So that's the thing. If you're going to, whatever form you pick, have your people practice it, have them know how to use it and be prepared to use it. No, that's fantastic advice. Um, when you just generally visit childcare facilities for trainings, what are some of the major safety and security flaws other than communication, which we talked about, that you routinely see that people should essentially identify as an opportunity to improve? Uh, biggest thing without a doubt is open and unsecure doors. Uh, yeah. We see this all over the place. Um, uh, we've seen people getting buzzed into buildings, even with a secure door, as I, I talked about here, without being seen. Uh, we've seen, we see all the times doors propped open in a jar, either because it's convenient for people to come in and out. Or another thing that we see a lot is either side or back doors that are used by smokers. Mm. So a lot of buildings, you know, you can't smoke in the front of the building. And so the workers will go to either a, a side door, a back door, or something like that, and prop that open so they can get in and out freely. Because a lot of those automatically lock behind them. Right. So one of the first places we look when we go to a building is we check the places. That's one of the first places we'll check is, is the back doors. People spend thousands of dollars on security systems sometimes, and it's all defeated by a little piece of wood. Uh, we were at a Head Start program in Kansas uh, a year or two ago. Uh, and it had very elaborate security. Uh, it had, you know, it had cameras. It had, you know, electronic buzzings to get in. It had the office by the front door. When my partner and I walked in, you know, two big guys carrying two big duffel bags, mm. we found the door was wide open. It was propped open with a chunk of wood. We walked in. Nobody confronted us. Nobody said a word to us. We walked down the hall, turned left, and we were right in the classroom. And we could have had hands on a child like that. Um, so that's one thing we have to really be concerned with is doors. The second thing is, is train your staff. Um, this is really true in schools uh, with substitute teachers that don't know anything about the procedures, or it's also true in businesses with uh, temporary help that comes in. If you use temporary help or maybe somebody from another location, it's going to be temporarily working in their workspace, you know, and for, the, for that day or for that week or whatever, out-of-town visitors, where they really don't know the procedures. 
This was evident in uh, Parkland, Florida, at the, the high school shooting a couple years ago, where there was uh, uh, substitute teachers that had no clue what to do uh, when the shooting started. But fortunately, the kids there were trained, and they could kind of tell the teachers, okay, here's what we got to do. We got to get back in that room and clo close that door and secure it. Um, that's not always going to be the case, especially with younger kids or in businesses, possibly, that people wouldn't know as well. So uh, you have to make sure that everybody uh, understands your procedures, uh, even if they're just going to be there for a short time, because that could be the day something happens. That's right. And it, it reminds me of what you said earlier, which is there's also this, I guess, this sense that most people have that everyone is polite and nice and they want to err on the side of being not rude to people. Um, how do you how do you essentially convince people to say it's okay to be mean? It's okay to follow the rules. How do you convince people <laughs> who are just nice to, to do that? Right. And we, you know, where we see this the, the most, Peter, is we see this even with parents uh, at schools where they'll be the tailgating. You know, yep. uh, everybody, every parent's got a code to get into the building, uh, an individual code, possibly, uh, hopefully. Uh, but then I see you coming and like, oh, I'll just hold the door open for you and let you come right in. The problem with that is I don't really know if you just lost custody of your child yesterday. Right. And now you're you're coming to take your child with you against court order. I don't know your specifics. So that's a real challenge. And we cover in all our training is that not only does the staff have to balance being rude and and, you know, and, and safe, but also anybody entering your building, like a parent has got to understand that too. So we would include that in um, when you, they talk to their parents about their drills and their active shooter to just say, hey, listen, I know you want to hold the door open for everybody, but please, everybody understand, don't take it offensively if somebody yeah. shuts the door in front of you because uh, we're not going to allow people to come in and, and tailgate. So it's definitely a balancing act. There's no question like, you know, how do we, uh, how do, we do it, uh, you know, Without being rude, um, you think you just have to let people know it's for the safety of everybody. And it's a little bit easier now with that was a COVID because everybody's yeah. a little more standoffish uh, with each other. And I think they understand a little bit more that we have to spread out a little bit more and everything. You know, it could be something as simple as just putting up a sign. Like when you go into a store and you're going to buy beer or wine or something, it says we card everybody, even if you're right. 110 years old. <laughs> and I think that's, I think that's a very good point. I mean, I think you have to be consistent with it. You just can't pick and choose. Like, that's oh, right. okay, now, I, now I'm going to let Ron in, but I'm not going to let Peter in. You just have to let everybody know this is going to be the case. That's right. Uh, and that, you know, I, I've been, I've been encouraged because we've been to many places where, We've actually tried to tailgate, and some of the parents would just like shut the door, like, yeah. like pretty much right fantastic. And that would be one of the things that we would talk, talk to the the owners and directors about, and say, "Hey, that's a good thing. Yeah, you know, that's a good thing." Rather than just say, "Okay, we just walked in and we look like we're pretty well dressed or whatever like that," and they just held the door open for us and without even knowing who we were. Obviously, they didn't know us. This is the first time we've been to the building, so yeah, we always kind of give people a little congratulations when they do that. So to make them feel like, hey, you really did something good here. Well, you know, childcare requires an added level of planning because not only are the childcare providers responsible for communicating with the children and the staff, but also the parents and guardians of each child. So how do you effectively train providers in this scenario just to ensure everyone involved knows their role during emergencies? Well, I think the first thing you do, you have to keep your parents informed right from the get-go. So mm -hmm. the minute somebody signs up, the minute the school session starts, uh, we would encourage you to, to have, a, uh, have a meeting with the parents. 
uh, I mean, a, a meeting as well as a written correspondence and set some expectations. Let them know, hey, we are going to do some drills. Here's what we're going to do. We'll let you know when the, the, we do the drills. They're not going to be surprised. Uh, and especially like we never really advocate, you know, especially for younger kids, a surprise active shooter drill, really right. for any age. There's no benefit for that. There's too many bad things that have happened. Yep. So we let the people know in advance. And another thing is you really don't want a young child coming home and tell them, trying to explain an active shooter drill to their parents at dinner time because you know that you're going to be in calls that evening or the next day about what did you guys do? So keep them informed. Let them know what's going to happen. Um, one of the things I would also stress to them is say, hey, if this is an actual event, you're probably not going to be able to come to our facility. The police are going to have the building locked down. They're probably going to have the roadways locked down. So all you're going to do is create more chaos when you come do come to the building, uh, if you do try to come to the building, because the police aren't going to let you in. So set some strong expectations about what they can and can't expect. On the other hand, now it becomes upon us to communicate with them freely. Let them know we'll keep you apprised of what's going on, that your kids are safe, what's going on, so we can do that. And that's why they need a form of communication, hopefully like by a, a group text thing or something like that, so they can keep them uh, uh, keep them informed. Another thing that we found is really works well with parents. Um, and we do a lot of work in the Washington, D.C. and Virginia area and Maryland area. And there it's not uncommon to have half of the students parents being FBI agents or mm. service agents or some form of law enforcement. Uh, so there it's pretty easy. And what we always recommend um, places is if you are dealing with parents and you have some interested parents, you know, kind of enlist them in as kind of like to help you with this. Mm. Sometimes if you have a, a parent that's resistant to, to certain rules or regulations, uh, it might come a little bit easier if another parent talks to them and yeah. says, you know, hey, we're all we're all doing this right now. I don't like to have to park my car over here now and do this, whatever, and just try to have them reason with them rather than having the staff become either number one, the bad guy, or trying to look it through their eyes or whatever. So and it gets everybody more involved. And then uh, the, everything becomes much more meaningful because now everybody's kind of is kind of bought into this and taken taken stock of it and gotten into it. Um, so we always say, hey, if you got some people that are willing, and there usually is a, a bunch of people that are willing to help out. I was doing some reading, and it's my understanding that your organization is supporting an act that actually ensures children with special needs are not left out of emergency preparedness. And I think this is really interesting for our listeners because it helps to illustrate the importance of not designing crisis plans with a one-size-fits-all approach, which I think is often a mistake among crisis response planners. Can you elaborate on that just a little bit? You're right. Yeah. Well, there's a great bill that's been introduced. That's called the Prep for All Students Act. It was introduced by Senator Bob Casey of uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, and the bill is, much like you said, is to ensure that young people and students with disabilities aren't left out of emergency preparedness training. Um, so, of course, we've supported that. But we were already kind of a little bit ahead of the curve because we, many, many months ago, we partnered with Autism Little Learners and its founder, uh, Tara Tuchel, uh, to work together to develop some workbooks for kids, especially with autism and special needs. And they're basically like uh, for drills. So it'll be a book of, you know, pictures and it'll kind of a step-by-step -step what you're going to do in a fire drill, what you're going to do in a weather drill, what you're going to do in an active shooter drill. And it's all picture-based. 
Um, and they came out beautifully. Um, she does great with this. Tara does great work, and we're so happy to partner with her because we do run into a lot of situations where we go to schools where they're, they're dealing with people with special needs. And yeah. let's face it, they're going to require a lot more uh, work to know how to handle these drills and everything like this, but we've had great success. What we did is we downloaded all these drill books. They're on our, our website. Uh, you can just download them and print them out. They're free of charge. Uh, we've had great success with people using those uh, with kids with special needs. It really kind of gives everything a visual picture to them and makes everything a lot less scary for them. Yeah. And you mentioned something that's pretty interesting, which is this, I guess, this ratio of emergency responder or in the case of a child care facility staff to student, the ratio of people you need to help guide those students or those staff um, as it's unfolding. If everyone is not physically disabled, it can be one to many. But if you have someone who's physically or mentally disabled, I mean, it's suddenly one to one. And now you right. you kind of you need a lot more people to help execute the overall uh, emergency plan. Yeah, absolutely. No question about that. Yeah, I think it's something a lot of folks don't don't think about. And it's clearly, yeah, one size fits all is not the, the right way to think about it. Right. Well, um, clearly, almost every parent would feel very reassured knowing their children are going to a school or a child care program that has emergency re- response plans in place. So how can our listeners do their part to promote more safety, basically safety training in schools, houses of worships, uh, other organizations in their community? What What is a recommendation there? Well, I think the, the best thing to do, Peter, is, you know, bring it to somebody that's in charge. Bring bring the topic up to them. Maybe they never even thought about it. Um, maybe they thought about it, but were a little bit uh, apprehensive about bringing this type of training, especially a, an active shooter training, uh, you know, to their facility for fear that people would be afraid of it or backlash on it or whatever. Or more than likely in today's world, it may have just been pushed to the back burner because of COVID. We're so thinking about COVID. So I think the more you show you support it, the more likely it's going to be to consider be considered. And one of the things that we've noticed, uh, even in early childcare, dealing with the youngest of kids, um, many years ago, if you would have told the parent, okay, we're going to have an active shooter drill with your kids, they would have said, you're going to do what with my kids? <laughs> but now it, they're saying, why aren't you doing this with my children? Because people realize these events are happening everywhere. They're happening in schools, they're happening in malls, they're happening in churches, they're happening in movie theaters, they're happening really everywhere. So we all have to we all have to be prepared. Um, and it's just not schools because uh, how do you handle unhappy customers? How do you handle terminated employees? So we have a, a lot of things to be prepared for. So I would not hesitate to ask for it, even in your workplace. You, you mentioned it before, but like you have child care centers near banks and in shopping malls, things like that. So what about large organizations? If a company's offices are located nearby a child care facility, what role can they play in helping a school during an emergency? Uh, we've seen this work terrifically in several parts of the country. Uh, I was uh, in uh, Minneapolis at a child care center, and there was a nearby hospital. I mean, and their hospital was their safe place to go. If they had a problem at their center, they were all going over to the hospital. Hmm. The hospital was a large building, had, you know, security, uh, you know, it had, you know, police and fire in and out of there all the time. So it was a lot of, it was 24 hours a day, uh, seven days a week. I mean, it was a, it was a perfect situation and they welcomed them with open arms. Uh, we had an, another situation, which is a little on a smaller scale in New Jersey, where we were actually 
had a training at a small center and across the parking lot, uh, there was a restaurant. We were actually there for lunch, kind of talking about everything that went through the day. And the owner happened to kind of overhear what was going on and got kind of involved in a conversation. And the next thing you know, he's like, you know what? You guys are right across the parking lot from me. You're always welcome to come here if there's a problem. That's great. And to the point where before that lunch was over, the owner of the restaurant had actually given the key to his building to the director saying, hey, if we're not here, for whatever reason, we're closed. When you guys are in business, here's the key to the back door. You guys can come in anytime you want. Wow. Great example of that, um, which people have to remember is, you know, look for these things, make these make these agreements in advance so that on the day of an event that would happen, you're not running around scrambling around. You've already know exactly where you're going to go. Yeah, I think that's the key. It's it's like, just reach out ahead of time. Don't be shy. Just say, hey, look, we're all around each other. What can I expect maybe help from you if we run into a situation? And conversely, if you get into trouble, what can I do? Or can you at least notify me that something's going on at your location so I can lock down my location? Exactly. Well, for sure. And that's what you mentioned the bank earlier. And that's what was exactly happening at the bank. Uh, this was in Baltimore. And there was a bank that was robbed uh, continually. And, and this, this poor guy was right by a, uh, a child care center. And they, they communicated all the time because when his bank would get robbed, the police would come, you know, and the bad guys were on, on the run. Who knows where they were going? They were running from the police. And the last thing you wanted them was to run into, you know, a child care center where they're hiding from yeah. the police. So they had open communication between each other. Because uh, oftentimes, we, especially we find out with early childhood, uh, childhood, they don't really get a lot of neighborhood text messages and alerts as some of the older schools do. A lot of right. older schools are on a system, uh, either through the city or the county uh, or the police department, uh, where if an incident has happened, they'll get notified like that. But usually early childhood finds out secondhand, either because they have a parent that's got a child in an older school and then they'll call, or maybe one of the staff members has actually got a child in one of the older schools. And they get a message saying, hey, something just happened you know, on this street uh, you know, lock your doors. We don't want anybody coming in. Well, I would definitely encourage our listeners to think outside of their four walls and start involving the community in the neighborhood because I think it can make a real big difference in, a, in an incident when it occurs. How do you help implement safety programs for organizations with just little to no funding or resources? What are some of the simple security initiatives that just really anyone or any organization can undertake regardless of their budget or size? Well, the vast majority of people we do training for have limited funding. Uh, and especially now, there's a lot of places that have been hit very hard because of COVID as far as monies go. Yeah. And, and, you know, there, as, as you know, Peter, there's many, many uh, very expensive security items out there. Uh, we've actually been approached by some companies to try to, you know, partner with them to sell their products or whatever like that. We've tried away from that because we found out that most of the time these people don't have the money for this expensive stuff. And truth be told, a lot of times, even the expensive stuff doesn't work as good as some of the homemade cheaper stuff. Uh, let's take, for example, you know, window coverings. Window coverings are really important to making your room look unoccupied. So somebody can't see in and find out if, mm. if the room is unoccupied or it's filled with kids or, or business workers. Um, you can spend hundreds, if not thousands of dollars on blinds and draperies and window coverings and whatever. Uh, but, just as well, you can take a, a big piece of construction paper, make it into an art project, 
you know, cover up a door window or cover up a side window very easily, change it with the seasons. Nobody's going to think twice about it. But yet, if somebody comes by, you know, they're not going to be able to see in your room. I love uh, that also, idea. also, you could take you could just take a piece of construction paper and fold it up like an accordion and, you know, and, you know, mm-hmm. Velcro it to the top of your door so you can leave it open 99 percent of the time. If you need it shut, you just let it down and it's closed like that. Window coverings is, is the easiest one. Uh, doors. Uh, you could spend thousands of dollars on doors. Uh, do you really need to? No, probably not. You know, just you can go to the hardware store and get a, a good lock. Make sure it locks from the inside so that you don't have to go out into a hallway or common area to, to lock it. Uh, there's door jam sticks that cost right. like eight nineteen dollars uh, at uh, you know at Home Depot or whatever. Um, you know, all these things they, they work very very well. Uh, cameras also great security tool. Uh, used to be that was thousands of dollars worth of an investment. Now you can go on Amazon and buy them for two hundred dollars or less. Yeah, uh, might not be the most elaborate one, but you probably don't need the most elaborate one. You just need something to be able to view, you know, certain areas of your place. I would recommend your parking lot be monitored. I'd recommend your front door be monitored. And some of that stuff is very, you know, so so easy now. You can see it on your phone. You can see it you know, on your laptop. You can see it anywhere. So those are very easy things that you know, you know we can do. We always tell people it's time to put your MacGyver hat on. You talked earlier about <laughs> talking about out of the get out of the four walls. You know, we're going to say even go a little further. Put your MacGyver hat on. Um, uh, be creative about what you you're going to do. What kind of security things you can do. Good reasons for this is it saves you money. It gets people involved. You know more, which we really really want. Yeah. You know, and it also makes people feel like it was worthwhile. So. The more you practice it, the better you're going to be. You know, we always say practice may not make perfect, but practice makes prepared. You know, that's that's one of the things that we uh, really encourage people to do. So there's a lot of things you can do just, you know, very, very inexpensively and very effectively, too. Well, one thing about emergency prep is mindset. And oftentimes people that have really tight or non-existent budgets have either tight or non-existent mindsets about safety. They just say, we don't have the money, so let's just ignore it and stick our head in the sand. So how do you help them realize the potential threats to their people and then to do more to plan for them? How can you encourage people that just don't have a budget? Well, some people are more hard to convince than others. Um, You see this a lot in churches. Mm. where a lot of people in churches feel that God will protect us. Yeah, Nothing's yeah. going to happen here. Uh, fortunately, that mindset is really, really getting to be you know minimal because now people are starting to see all the things that have happened in churches. Yeah. It's far more it's far more than just you know killings. I mean, there's vandalisms, there's theft, there's all kinds of things that happen in churches. Uh, I think our, I think everybody, uh, is seeing now how 2020 has changed us in our society. Uh, we're much more frustrated. We're much more angry. We're much more depressed. Uh, for those that don't know, I mean, gun sales and ammunition sales have skyrocketed to levels nobody ever would have predicted. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's really kind of a, a recipe for, for uh, violence. Yeah. And now couple that with what we're asking some of our employees to do. We talked earlier about enforcing some rules. You have to wear a mask. You have to social distance. You can't go here. You have to park your car here. You can't go in this area. 
So once again, most employees aren't trained in dealing with this kind of stuff, either tactfully or how to de-escalate a situation. Right. Um, so that once again can really lead to a lot of uh, problem situations. Our training has always been based on communication and de-escalation techniques. We've kind of even ramped that up a little bit now because it's so much more important. So these are the type, types of things we uh, try to uh, explain to people that, yeah, you might think that, oh, this could never happen to me or this could never happen to us. Uh, but as you see, things are happening all over the country, big towns, small towns, country towns, you name it, everything in between. Um, and the violence and the anger and the frustration has just grown and grown and grown and grown um, to a point where it's almost like we're at a little bit of a boiling point. And we all have to kind of be ready to be prepared. If a situation does happen, how are we going to handle it? Do you think fear is a good motivator for people or does that push them away further? Are there better ways to approach your staff and your team? Uh, we try not to, we try not to really deal with fear. Uh, some people, I would be fine with it, but there's a lot of people that it would push away. And, yeah. you know, it's interesting you should say that, Peter, because we never really leave a, a business, a school, or a church or whatever without obviously talking to the director or the bosses or the employers or whatever, one-on-one uh, -on -one at the end. And we tell them, one of the hard things you're going to have to do is figure out your employees and who can do what for you. Uh, some people are going to be your fighters. I mean, they're ready to go. I mean, they're, they're just, come on, let me at them. Others are going to be, oh my gosh, I don't want anything to do with this. I'm scared to death and whatever. So now you're going to have to know your people, know your personnel. Uh, what tasks can you give everybody that, so everybody can take place in this and help, but also do it to their strength? So we stay away from fear. Uh, as a matter of fact, our training Let's just take our active shooter training. It is probably the least fearful thing you could ever go through. We don't, we don't scare people. We don't shoot people with little rubber bullets. So we take all that fear out. Um, we always say you don't have to start a fire to know how to respond to a fire. Mm. And we feel the same thing when we look at active shooter. You know, we try to, you know, obviously make it, you know, somewhat realistic, but you know, we don't we don't do any of the scare tactics at all because I don't really think that's very effective for people. Well, it, it reminds me of what we talked about earlier about the one size fits all approach, which it's pretty interesting what you said that you can't treat all your people the same. Like they'll be able to respond the same. You've got some people who are your gung ho, let me at them. I'm going to respond. I'm going to fight. I'm going to do whatever. Other people are scared, and they you have to find a, a position for everyone to fill based on their level of comfort and capability. I think that's a huge, huge point. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, let me close out by asking a final question, even though you've already given a tremendous amount of advice. Um, what is something they can take away with them today to immediately go make an impact on their organization? What's what's something they can do to improve their overall safety culture? A couple of easy, easy things. Um, lock your doors. And that's, uh, you know, being coming from law enforcement, I've seen more people's homes get entered. I've seen more people's cars get stolen. I've seen more things taken out of cars simply because they just didn't lock the doors of either their house, their business, or, or their or their cars. So that's something we all should be doing. Second thing is, you know, increase your situational awareness. Know what's going on around you. Be aware of your surroundings. What looks right, what doesn't look right. 
you know, these are things that police and military are very good at, but the average citizen is not so good at. Yeah. Uh, and so I mentioned earlier about the person wandering the hallway at your business. Should he be there? Uh, make sure that, you know, your people are aware of who should be there and make sure that they have an environment that they're not afraid to say something if they do see something that is suspicious or out of out of the ordinary. So they're not afraid to say that. Uh, another thing is uh, improve your communications with each other, uh, whether that be uh, cell phones or whatever. Uh, many times we go to a place and it's either a teacher in a classroom or a coworker in a, in a cubicle. They, they, they're five feet from each other. Well, six feet now, I guess, from right. each other daily, but they don't have each other's cell phone numbers. So we tell people, you don't have to become BFFs, but what you should do is know how to get in touch with each other because that could be your only form of communication in a bad event. Also, can you text message to your police department? Uh, mm -hmm. These are simple things to know how to do. Texting to the police is, is a big push right now, uh, but not everybody has it. You know, you have to find out, does your jurisdiction have that? So these are no-cost things you can do today. Uh, they won't cost you anything. It won't even take a lot of time. And you're going to be a whole lot safer just by doing a couple of these things. So like we said, or like you said about fear, we don't be scared, be prepared is what our motto would be. No, that's fantastic. Excellent. Well, hey, this has been a fantastic conversation. Totally appreciate your expertise and advice on improving safety awareness in our communities. If anyone listening has follow-up questions or just wants to connect with you, what's the best way for them to find you out there? Uh, I would say just go to our website. It's uh, childhoodpreparedness.org. Uh, if you just Google childhood preparedness, it comes up where uh, we have our, our own website, uh, which is filled with information, as I kind of alluded to earlier, with resources, a lot of free resources, uh, we have blogs that we keep up with uh, daily things that are happening. Uh, we have uh, all our training opportunities are, are on there. And we have people that monitor it all the time. So uh, just childhoodpreparedness.org is probably the best way to get to us. Okay. Well, Ron, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the Employee Safety Podcast. And to the rest of you out there, remember, nothing ever goes 100% according to plan in an emergency. So communication is incredibly important. If you can't communicate, you can't recover. Until next time. Alert Media is changing the way your leaders and response teams connect and communicate effectively when seconds matter. We provide our customers with a comprehensive solution for monitoring threats around the world and deploying fast, effective emergency communication. You need a panic-proof solution for high-stakes moments. In just a few clicks, your team can send a multi-channel notification to an impacted group of people and confirm their safety immediately. When employee safety is at stake, don't just communicate. Connect and confirm with a robust emergency communication solution. Visit alertmedia.com for more information. You've been listening to the Employee Safety Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give a quick rating of the show. Just tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.